0: Well, at this time of year, many of us uh, have guests. We have company, right? People who visit us between Thanksgiving and between Christmas. This is the busiest time of the year for family and for friends to come and to stay a while. When I was a kid growing up in uh, central Kansas, my grandparents lived only about a mile away from our home. That was actually the house where my dad grew up. And uh, every Thanksgiving and every Christmas, we would have out-of-town cousins and aunts and uncles come. And of course, by my grandfather's, uh, let's call it a request, it wasn't really a request, but let's call it a request. At my grandfather's request, they would all stay at this house. This is a little farmhouse with with three bedrooms, uh, one kitchen, one bathroom. And you've got 18 people crowded in to this little house. And my grandfather and my grandmother would go to huge lengths to prepare for their coming, but the one preparation they really needed to do was the one preparation that they would wait until the day after Thanksgiving or the day after Christmas to actually get done when the need arose. Those of you who grew up in a rural community on a septic system know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) But This is the truth, right? When, when family and friends are coming to visit, coming to stay a while, you prepare for them. You prepare for them. You, when you know that folks are coming for a visit, you pick up the kids' toys. You dust a little. You vacuum. You mop. You put away the clean laundry. You straighten the pictures. You pick up the dirty underwear. And depending on who it is that's visiting and how long they'll be staying, you might even clean the toilets and stock the fridge. Maybe you replace those magazines on the coffee table, you know, the ones that you got at the checkout line in the grocery store. Maybe you replace them with the Wall Street Journal, the National Review, or the New Yorker. Light a few candles, wipe down down the countertops. A guest is coming to visit, and so we prepare. And let's be honest, the depth of our preparation is in direct proportion to the identity of the visitor and the purpose of the visit. The more important the person is, the more likely we are to really, really prepare. There's a relatively new show on Netflix called The Crown. It's one of Dave Hope's personal favorites. It's about the early years of the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. And in one episode, the palace was being prepared for a visit uh, with then-president of the United States, Dwight Eisenhower. And they show valets and butlers and maids brushing the velvet seat cushions with with combs, with brushes. They show them uh, a man carefully kneeling on the tabletop, polishing it with his hands and his knees as he worked his way down. Tables then covered with carefully pressed, perfectly white tablecloths all this for the visit of the President of the United States. But when Prime Minister Winston Churchill came to the palace for his weekly audience with the Queen, she received him wearing her everyday clothes while sipping tea in her seat- sitting room. Communicate something about the level of importance. I don't, I don't know what Mr. Uh, Prime Minister Churchill felt about that. Now with all this in mind, as we think about preparing for guests and how we prepare for very important guests, here on the second Sunday of Advent, We turn to Matthew chapter 3, 1 through 12, and we come to John the Baptist. John, the herald of the Messiah, came to the people of Judea and called them to repent, to prepare for the king and his kingdom. The Jewish folks of the first century were looking forward to this great future event. They were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah and while there were different thoughts and different ideas about just exactly who the messiah would be and what exactly the messiah would do all agreed that the messiah's coming would be a good thing for the people of the Jewish people or for the Jewish people all agreed that the messiah's coming would be good because he would be god's agent of <coughs> redemption god's agent of restoration And growing up alongside this messianic expectation, this this looking for the Messiah, was the belief that before Messiah would come, there would come a prophet. A prophet who would emerge to herald, to proclaim the Messiah's coming, and thus prepare the people. In Malachi chapter 4, the prophet proclaimed for God, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. From that passage, from Malachi chapter 4, as well as some passages from Isaiah, we have this expectation for the prophet to come, to fulfill the prophecies of Isaiah, to make the paths and highways straight for Messiah. And so into this culture of expectation, this this culture of desire, this culture really of, of longing for the Messiah to come, into this culture with expectation stepped John the Baptist. Dressed like Elijah, wearing a clothing of camel's hair and a leather belt. And I got to tell you, every girl's crazy about a sharp dressed man. <laughs> dressed like Elijah, wearing clothing of camel's hair and a leather belt. And in the fulfillment of prophecy, Dave, I just stole your line. John the Baptist proclaimed, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While John stepped into this culture expecting and desiring the Messiah and the prophet before him, John himself was actually very radical in what he was proclaiming. John proclaimed the kingdom of heaven, God's reign, God's rule was near. To those people hearing John's words, the kingdom of God was near. It was at hand because the king was near. The king was at hand. And this king, this very important person, was coming near. He was bringing with him his kingdom. And so John says, prepare for the one to come. And it is exactly here in his preaching of preparation, it's exactly here that things go a little bit sideways. Because John called the people to prepare to make straight the paths through repentance and through baptism. These are radical actions, radically different than what the people of the Jews would have considered. Radically different, radical in their very nature. You see, John told folks who were Jewish and thus part of God's chosen people in Abraham that they needed to repent. And repentance fundamentally means change. It is, repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart that leads to more change. It leads to a change in attitude towards God and a change in behavior and lifestyle. Repentance is a radical transformation, a radical reorientation of the whole person away from one thing and toward other another and in this case as john preaches repentance he's calling these people to turn away from their sin and toward god repentance requires a recognition and uh, a recognition of need repentance requires a recognition of personal impotence to meet that need personal weakness lack of power and so fundamentally, repentance requires a person to turn away from all those things that one has pursued to meet their needs and to turn toward the only one who can meet that need, God himself. And of course, the most fundamental need humans have is the forgiveness and cleansing of sin. And all human-centered attempts to meet that need are themselves sin. And so repentance preparation for the coming of the king and his kingdom means really turning away from yourself and turning towards him. And I don't think that we can really grasp just how radical John the Baptist's preaching was because he is telling here Jewish people, people of the law, that they were wrong-hearted and wrong-minded and that in order to be ready for the king that they were looking for, they needed to change. They needed to repent and turn towards God. And I don't think that we can fully grasp just how radical it was to tell them they needed to be baptized. In Judaism, baptism was typically reserved for non-Jewish people who desired to convert and worship Yahweh. Then this Gentile person would ritually cleanse themselves with water. To prepare for the Messiah, the King, John called upon Jewish folks to consider themselves as Gentiles to repent, to be baptized. I don't think we can really get how radical that is. <clears throat> That's a, a fundamental transformation. You'd have to ask, it'd be like asking an OU fan to begin, uh, become an OSU fan. <laughs> it'd be a, like asking a gator to become a Seminole. <clears throat> never. See, Claudia, never. To prepare for Messiah, the king, John called upon Jewish folks to be like Gentiles, to repent and to be baptized. And people heard. And people believed. And people received. Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. It's quite possible that John's popularity was the reason why the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to visit As the religious and political leaders of the Jewish people, these two groups would naturally want to check out the new guy on the scene. Just what's he doing and what's he up to? Maybe they just wanted to get a rub from John's popularity by being seen there. Whatever the reason, they apparently didn't have any desire to hear to believe and to receive that which John was giving, and thus they had no desire to respond with repentance of, prepar- of preparation of repentance and baptizing, baptism. They seem to have been quite content with who they were and what they were about. And then John puts them on notice. He blasts them for their arrogant hypocrisy. It is not a compliment to call someone a brood of vipers. Who warned you to come from the wrath to come? This is biting sarcasm from God's prophet. They weren't fleeing from anything. They haven't heard or heeded any warning. In fact, they were most likely offended that John would treat Jewish people, children of Abraham, like Gentiles, telling them to repent and to be baptized. But when the king comes, all must prepare for him radically and quite frankly, ancestry means nothing. John says to them, you may say uh, you do not presume to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. When the king comes having the right DNA, being raised in the right culture, being a part of the right family, the right nation, all that means nothing. They mean nothing because none of them will save a person from the wrath to come. The perfect and right judgment of the king. And that judgment was imminent in John's day. That judgment is imminent in our own day. And so John says to those people, John says to us here on the second Sunday of Advent, prepare for the king through the radical practice of repentance. And as this interaction between John and the Pharisees and the Sadducees comes to an end, John does exactly what God told him to do. John points towards Jesus. John is great. John is popular. In fact, Jesus at one point is going to say that uh, under all of heaven, no one is like John the Baptist. He's a prophet of God. He stands in a long line of prophets that stretches back to the events of the Exodus, to Moses himself. And yet John is quick to confess, He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. The one who comes is greater than John because he is the king. And as great as John was, when compared to Jesus, he's nothing more than the lowliest servant, handling the sandals and the feet. John baptized those who heard and responded with water. John's baptism was radically new. It was done in preparation for the coming of the king. And as great as John's baptism was, the king's is greater as he baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In fulfillment of God's predictions and prophecies, the king's baptism will either purify and give life, or it will destroy and lead to eternal judgment. And ultimately, the king is greater than John because the king is the one who has authority to judge. He has the authority to reward and condemn, to gather or burn. And when the man comes around, as our friend Johnny has sung this morning, when the man comes around, judgment follows with him. This king, Jesus, has every right to judge And his judgment is not and will not be arbitrary or baseless. His judgment will be based entirely upon how people have responded to him with faith and repentance or with refusal and rejection. The king is coming, John said. Be found prepared by repenting. Be found prepared when he comes by turning away from sin, changing your life and turning toward God. Now, we must recognize, of course, that we find ourselves in a bit of a different situation Uh, spot than John's original audience. John was heralding the coming of the King Jesus before he, he began his public ministry, before the coming of God's kingdom with the King Jesus. And so John's original audience lived fully in what we would call a not yet of time. The kingdom had not yet come with Jesus. But we must recognize that we live in a different time as Jesus has already come and has already brought the kingdom with him. In his first advent, that which we celebrate at Christmas, Jesus came and and brought God's rule and reign with him. Jesus ministered, he healed, he proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was betrayed, crucified for the sins of the world, raised victorious over sin and death and hell, and then ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. There at the right hand of the Father, he awaits the time appointed by the Father, the time of his second advent, when he will come again in power and in glory to judge the living and the dead and to bring the kingdom of God in the fullness of his majesty." For us living in the year 2016, our kingdom reality is one of already, but not yet. God's kingdom is already here because Jesus has come. And God's kingdom is manifested here upon the earth, not as some geopolitical nation state, but in the community of those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, who follow him as king, and who work for God's purposes on earth, living a new way of life, looking for Jesus to come again. The kingdom is here now amongst us because Jesus reigns in heaven, because Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit, because Jesus built and is building his church. And so the kingdom we experience is already is the kingdom John heralded. The kingdom of not yet is that which we herald. You see, we are recipients of John's message, and so we need to hear, we need to heed, we need to respond to the good news of the king's coming with repentance and with faith. But we are also given a charge to echo John's message to those who have not responded with the repentance of faith. The church has a prophetic message for the world in which it currently resides. And that prophetic message is John's. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand because Jesus is coming again and people need to prepare Jesus is a good, gracious, and kind king. Make no mistake about it, he will judge. But he who is the kingly judge also loves and died so that those he judges may grant forever forever life in his forever kingdom that he will forever reign upon. So John's preaching is clear. Prepare for the king and the kingdom through the radical practice of repentance. The message of Advent is clear. Prepare for the King and the Kingdom through the radical practice of repentance. And Jesus' church must also have a clear message. Prepare for the Kingdom and the King. Repent, believe, and have life. i said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and gracious <coughs> God, we do give you praise and thanks. The coming of Jesus is a good thing. His first advent brought us life through his crucifixion and resurrection. His second advent will bring glory and majesty. All things that are evil will be undone. We pray for faith. We pray for grace. We pray for changed lives. We pray that you would be glorified in us through Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, let's respond to the